Specialty Story, session number 88. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week where I get to talk to amazing physicians about their specialty and what you should be doing and what you should know to potentially enter that specialty as well. This week, I have a great guest, Dr. Scott Gilbert, a nephrology fellowship program director. So my goal here when I started this podcast was to not only talk to practicing physicians in each specialty, both academic and community-based, but also talk to the program directors, those who are potentially the gatekeepers to your ability getting into that specialty. And so I have a great conversation with Dr. Gilbert all about nephrology and what you as a medical student or you as a resident should be doing to stand out, to think about nephrology and everything else that hopefully will help you get into nephrology, not only get into nephrology, but hopefully help you realize that nephrology is an awesome specialty that maybe you should be thinking about if you haven't already. So we started the conversation by talking about when Dr. Gilbert first became interested in nephrology. So I was a latecomer to nephrology. I actually found interest in nephrology during my junior year residency. I had always thought that I was going to be a primary care doctor, perhaps a family medicine doctor. And it wasn't until late in the process that I really got turned on to nephrology as being both a mixture of primary care as well as the intellectual stimulation of intensive care unit and transplant and all sorts of other things. So I found nephrology as an opportunity to bridge a lot of my interests. Very nice. What do you think it is about the nephrology patient that you're seeing day in and day out that that kind of piques your interest? They're complicated. These guys are not straightforward, and they typically have multi-system organ disease. Patients with kidney disease oftentimes have endocrinology diseases like diabetes or rheumatology diseases like lupus or vasculitis. Many times they have comorbid cardiovascular disease or pulmonary disease. So they really touch on the breadth of what is medicine, and and that I find very attractive. I wasn't looking to be a specialist that focused in one small area. I want to care for the totality of a patient. And being a kidney disease doctor, taking care of transplant patients, dialysis patients, patients with kidney disease, I get the opportunity to provide care for the breadth of their medical issues, which is a lot of fun for me. What traits, and and you're a program director now, so you are evaluating applicants as they, they want to embark on this journey of becoming a nephrologist. Obviously, you've been in the field for a while. You've seen what works and what doesn't work. But from a program director standpoint, how are you evaluating students from a trait perspective to determine who's going to make a, a good nephrologist or not? Sure. Well, there's a lot of different things that go into nephrology. There's, like we mentioned earlier, there's elements of critical care medicine. There's procedural elements of medicine. There's whole, a whole host of different things that people can get out of a career in nephrology. So a lot of times it has to do with what 
an individual's goals are. Somebody who's interested in the holistic care of dialysis and transplant, you'd like to see somebody who has a solid grounding in the general aspects of medicine. They're organized, they're compassionate and empathetic, they're able to really provide the care to patients in all levels that they require. If somebody's more focused in research, then we want to see a track record that they know how to pose questions and frame frame answers, and they're able to really recognize the core issues that need to be explored in addressing those questions. If somebody's interested in um, critical care, you want somebody who's able to organize and prioritize complicated care in a way that ensures that the patient's going to get the needs their needs met. Um, so given the, the vast opportunities within nephrology, we look for people who have particular skills that align with what it is they want to do. How do you evaluate that on an application coming in? Well, a lot of it has to do with track record, what sort of activities that they've engaged in in the past, how they've performed in different roles in their residency training. We look a lot at their outside interests in terms of organizations that they've participated in and places where they've chosen to spend their time. We look at their their letters of recommendation and try to figure out what strengths these individuals have. And a little bit goes into the board scores and their academic performance. But we really look at everything to try to figure out whether they'd be a good fit for the particular interests that they have in nephrology. It's interesting. A lot of who I talk to on a day-to-day basis are pre-med students looking mm-hmm. to go to medical school. And, and sure. pre-med students think, oh, I have to fit this one specific mold, and I have to check all of these boxes, and I have to have these scores and, and whatever else. And I try to force them away from that, going, no, be yourself, chase your interests, and paint this picture of who you are as a person. And it sounds like even as you're going into residency and fellowship, you're looking for the same exact thing going, who are you as a person? What are your goals? What are your interests? And then let me, let me make sure that your, your actions are, are where you're speaking as well. I think you're absolutely right, Ryan. I think that a lot of times applicants are focused on presenting what the programs are looking for. And that's not what this is about. We're very specialized at this point. You're, you're looking for niche training when you go into a residency program. You're looking for niche training when you go into a specialty, you don't need to impress anybody any longer. You need to try to find the training that's going to provide you the skills that you need to succeed in the career that you want, not somebody to put you in a career that they want you to be in. So I think the most important thing is to be honest, is to come out and say, listen, I want to do this kind of medicine, and this is the sort of training that's going to help me get there. And if a program wants somebody along those lines, and that's a great fit, and this is a good place to be. If another program says, well, actually, we're looking to train researchers here, and you didn't say anything about research, we don't think you're a good fit for us, then Mm -hmm. that's the correct answer, too. You shouldn't train in a place that is prepared to provide you training that doesn't align with what your career goals are. At this point, I think applicants really need to be self-aware of what they're looking for out of their career. They need to present that as articulately as possible, and they have to accept that some programs are going to be able to provide that kind of training, and others may not, and that's okay. That's what this is all about, is getting the training to help the individual launch the career that they want. Yeah. 
What about a student who has not done the best board scores wise, but knows they want to be a nephrologist? And then we were talking before we hit record that nephrology isn't the most competitive specialty out there. I'm sure you're still looking at board scores as a, a way to potentially evaluate students for somebody who who maybe failed step one and then came back and did better the second time. How are you evaluating students who have done poorly, who have some red flags in their application, but still want to take this journey? Well, I think what we really want is people to be accountable for people to acknowledge that they didn't do well on an exam and perhaps to give us some background. If somebody says, listen, I, my, my, I lost a, a close friend or a family member um, leading up to the exam, and that's why I did poorly, that's something we'll, we'll blow off and we will, we will, you know, we'll discount the board scores. We, we can understand that. If somebody says, listen, I've never been a very good test taker, but it hasn't, hasn't in, at all reflected my understanding of material and my performance in clinical roles, Sure. If there's evidence that they've done very, very well in their clerkships and on their rotations and their performance on the board scores does on the boards doesn't align with their other their clinical skills, then you know that's something we might look past. But it's not something that I think somebody that uh, an applicant should bury. I do think that they need to be upfront about it and say, "Listen, I didn't do well on the boards. I could have done better, or I typically struggle with these types of exams." And that kind of awareness will, I think, comfort many program directors as they look past a single aberration on an academic record. Where are they communicating that in a in their essays, in a, an email? Where, where are they communicating that, that to you guys? I think probably the easiest place to do that would be in the essay. I mean, ideally, it would be in an interview, but many times the board scores may hold up somebody's selection for an interview. So I it probably has to be acknowledged a little bit before that. You know, I, there are programs that will screen applicants based upon their board scores. And under those circumstances, somebody with poor board scores may not even get the benefit of an application read, which is unfortunate because many, many people have bad days on the t- on, when they took an exam. And as a result, they, they, might be, um, they might be subjected to those sorts of screens. That's, I think, really unfortunate because I don't think that the board scores reflect somebody's potential to be a, an outstanding physician. And, um, and people who give a closer look to these these records can certainly see that. Yeah. A random side question since we're, we're talking about it. There's a lot of noise out there for making step one or all the boards pass fail. What are your thoughts on that? I don't have a problem with that. I think that there's benefits to a pass-fail system as opposed to a graded system. Typically, we use pass-fail systems when we're when our objective is to identify competency. For example, at Tufts Medical School, where I teach the first two years of medical school or pass-fail, you need to demonstrate a level of competency in your understanding of biochemistry and genetics. We're not looking for people who master and excel in these areas. This is foundational material that will prepare you later to perform at a high level in clinical duties. Once you get into the clinical setting, then we give grades because here we can see people who can excel in in different areas. I think that there are challenges to making the boards pass-fail. It would identify a level of competency, kind of like what board exams do for many of the specialties. This individual has fulfilled 
the knowledge criteria to perform as an internist or as a surgeon or as an OBGYN or as a pediatrician, yes or no. When you look at board scores as they're being used for selection to residency and fellowship, well, sometimes, you know, the degradations of the level of success, you know, can be useful. There is data on board scores. People who do well on the boards are far more likely to pass their specialty boards. Uh, patients who have str- uh, individuals who have struggled on the USMLEs have oftentimes struggled to pass their certifying examinations for the the board, the certifying board exams. So program directors are cautious about people who present risks of failing the special, the certification boards and. For those reasons, I think that they look at the board scores a little bit more than they, they may need to. So let's talk about nephrology and what a fellow is doing kind of day in and day out. What does that look like for somebody yeah. who's interested in it? So nephrology is a mixture of both outpatient and inpatient medicine. There is a lot of outpatient ambulatory clinic uh, where we're taking care of patients who have chronic kidney disease, patients who have uh, chronic electrolyte disorders, patients who have hypertensive disorders, transplant patients, and dialysis patients. These are all ambulatory outpatients. Alternatively, there is a significant role for nephrologists in the inpatient hospitalized setting. Nephrologists take care of patients who have kidney disease, acute kidney injury, or chronic kidney disease who are hospitalized and the unique medical needs of those individuals. They do perform consults on patients who have electrolyte abnormalities like hyperkalemia, disorders of calcium and magnesium, um, acid-base disorders, and disorders of sodium concentration. And there are other needs in the transplant setting where we adjust immunosuppression and manage the infectious complications that occur in this unique population as well. So when we design our fellowship training program, we try our best to prepare individuals for the breadth of what nephrologists are going to do in clinical practice. In our program, we have about a 50% of responsibilities aligned with inpatient medicine where they rotate through consult services and critical in ICUs and transplant services, and 50% of the effort is placed in the outpatient setting where they do outpatient CKD clinics. They take responsibility for a group of patients who are managed in an outpatient hemodialysis unit, and they take care of peritoneal dialysis and transplant patients who are, uh, again, ambulatory and out in the community. So they get to take responsibility for patients in both inpatient and outpatient settings. They get to develop their skills for inpatient in, inpatient nephrology as well as outpatient nephrology. And by and large, they leave the program very well prepared to assume the duties that uh, a nephrologist in practice is going to have to do. Are there times when a, a fellow may be taking home call and would need to come in for any specific thing? Yes. So when patients come in critically ill to the emergency department and require dialysis, then these fellows may need to come in and evaluate the patients and assess their candidacy for dialysis. Um, sometimes this happens in the middle of the night. We have to do procedures such as placing dialysis catheters occasionally in the middle of the night if somebody, if one of those patients needs a, a dialysis treatment. So yes, there is some. There are times that our fellows who are performing home call 
do need to come into the hospital to evaluate very sick patients. It doesn't happen very often. Okay. Let's talk about those procedures. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I think somebody thinking about nephrology may not think that it is a procedure-heavy specialty or maybe a specialty that even has procedures to begin with. I think it's just math and calculating all the sodium Mm. and potassium and all that stuff. What are the procedure, what's the procedure burden look like for somebody who may or may not want to do a lot of procedures? So traditionally, the procedures that have fallen within nephrology are the placement of non-tunneled catheters that can be used for dialysis. What we call, they're typically placed in the internal jugular or in the femoral vein. Uh, they're dual lumen catheters that can take blood out and return it to the, to the circulation at the same time. Uh, they can accommodate heavy, flow, heavy blood flows. 300 to 400 milliliters per minute. Uh, They're very large bore catheters. So they require a little bit more experience than the placement of these standard triple lumen catheters. They're large bore lines. So dialysis nephrologists and and renal fellows develop the skills to place these very large bore catheters in the internal jugular and femoral veins. They also learn to perform kidney biopsies in both uh, the native kidneys as well as transplant kidneys to understand the underlying pathology of kidney disease. And those have been, by and large, the traditional procedures that nephrologists perform, invasive procedures, um, urinalysis, sediment evaluation, and dialysis are uh, non-invasive procedures that we also do. But the, uh, um, the lines and the biopsies are the invasive ones. There is a burgeoning field within nephrology called interventional nephrology. And many people who enjoy doing procedures may pursue a career in this area. Interventional nephrologists perform small surgeries on the wrists of patients to create arteriovenous fistulas for dialysis access. They may place grafts in the forearm for dialysis access. They can place PD catheters, and they do a lot of interventional vascular procedures such as angioplasties and stenting in fistulas as uh, fistulas may develop stenoses or thromboses. So there are more and more procedures that are finding their way into nephrology. And uh, I expect that this area of interventional nephrology to grow as, uh, as we go on. It seems like physicians are becoming more and more creative with with uh, reimbursements and how to maximize that. Like, let's add interventional to our name and, and figure out how to make more money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, these are our patients. Yep. These dialysis patients are people who we care deeply about. We followed them for years. We see them on a weekly basis on dialysis. We know their access and all of the challenges that their vascular access have been through. There is nobody more adept at handling the complications of these fistulas in patients who we know very well than us. So it's, I think it's an area that's ripe for nephrologists to get into. And uh, I think we're having a lot of success in that area too. Yeah. What should a, a medical student or, or even a, an internal medicine resident, when should they start exploring nephrology if this is something they're interested in? Well, you know, nephrology, I think, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. You know, I, I can tell you a little bit about my interest and how my interest developed, and, it, and it's a little bit of a model for uh, all that nephrology has to, to offer. I initially was interested in general medicine and family medicine and being the doctor for a community of patients who 
I could follow for many, many years and watch them through many of their problems. I thought I would go into family medicine, and then I decided to do internal medicine at the end of my medical school training because I liked the science of medicine quite a bit, and I thought that specialties were interesting and the opportunity to be that kind of specialist, that kind of primary care doctor, but for a specialized group of patients, whether it be HIV patients or lupus patients or COPD patients, whatever it was. But I thought that I could be the primary care doctor for a select group of very interesting patients. As I continued in my training, I was in a primary care tract within an internal medicine residency. Um, as I explored a little bit more about what was out there and I met nef a nephrologist, the opportunity to you know, provide that primary care for, for dialysis patients and transplant patients, but at the same time to sort of see consults in the intensive care unit and to calculate uh, solve acid-base problems and calculate anion gaps and replete sodium and potassium and water and all of these mathematical calculations. I'm kind of like a math and science geeky kind of guy <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the heart of this. So the opportunity to do all of these things was just so exciting to me. And there's been no looking back. You know, I, I knew myself very well when the opportunity of nephrology presented itself. And I think that's one of the important lessons to students and residents out there. The most important thing you can do is learn yourself, learn what your interests are. And as you learn yourself and you learn your interests, you'll very quickly recognize the field that's right for you. I knew that I wanted to have continuity of care with patients. I knew I wanted a sick population to take care of. I knew that I wanted to, I wanted the intellectual stimulation of the science and the math of medicine. And when I finally heard what a nephrologist does, I was like, that's it. That's how I can unite all of my different interests into a very satisfying and rewarding career. And Ryan, when, I th when you do that, when you know yourself really well, and then you recognize the field that can bring that all together, you're almost assured of finding a profession that you're never going to get bored of. You're never going to get tired of. It's going to be stimulating and interesting in each and every day. And I still feel this way. I'm 20 years into this and I just love nephrology. I love my patients. I love the critical care aspects. I love working with house staff and other subspecialists and sort of getting everybody's input together to sort of figure out what we can do best for a patient. And that's what nephrology has represented to me. And I think that it, it represents that to, to many, many nephrologists. Yeah. And you're not alone with your math and science geekiness. Every <laughs> nephrologist that I've had on this podcast, they're, they're exactly the same, as I'm sure you know. Uh, yes, I, I hang out with those guys. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's talk a, a minute about the actual fellowship training. What does that look like? Is it a year? Mm -hmm. Is it two years? What are they doing over the span of that time? Yeah, so nephrology is a two-year accredited fellowship training program by the ACGME, which means that medical students need to do three years of internal medicine. When they complete three years of internal medicine, then they can do a two-year nephrology fellowship. Now, that two-year nephrology fellowship is typically spent with one predominantly clinical year and a second year of individual exploration, whether it be in research or quality improvement or other areas that they want to particularly focus in. Now, many programs will offer a three-year training program, which we offer as well for individuals who want research training. 
This will involve that one predominantly clinical year, along with two years of research where students can either take advanced classwork and a master's degree classwork in epidemiology and research and study design and things like that, or other things. Now, after somebody has done a two-year fellowship, they can do an additional year of sub-subspecialty training in transplantation, which is one year long. Uh, there are some glomerular fellowships at Columbia and at UNC, which is one year long. There's fel advanced fellowships in ESRD care. There's advanced fellowships in uh, procedural interventional nephrology, all of those things, which may end up being another year. So all in all, fellowship training in nephrology is at least two years, but could be as many as four or perhaps five if somebody wants specialized training in research or transplantation or something like that. And just for somebody who may not know, ESRD, end-stage renal disease? Yes, that's okay. dialysis care. Okay. All right. For, for you specifically, obviously you can't speak for every program director out there, but when an application lands on your desk and the initials after the name are DO and not MD, how does that change your evaluation of a student or a, a resident? Very little. At this point, the training for DOs and for MDs is very, very similar. There's a little bit of a difference in the structure of the curriculum in the two programs, but we've had DOs in our program and we've had MDs in our program, and we feel very comfortable in, in either one of them. What's the biggest, you think, a deficit potentially that residents coming in or fellows, new fellows coming in, the biggest deficit? about nephrology that they don't know or, or what you have to teach them that they're not getting in their residency? Well, I can tell you that I think a lot of this happens in the residency level before they get to fellowship. There's a lot of misconceptions about nephrology, and we're demystifying those through in the residency program continuously. For one, people think that nephrology is really, really hard, and it can be conceptually difficult. You know, the differences between salt balance and water balance, the difference between hyponatremia and hypernatremia against sodium overload and sodium depletion water and, and uh, volume status, that can be really hard. The acid-base disorders can be very challenging. The patients who develop acute kidney injury are oftentimes sick with multi-organ failure. So there's this conception that nephrology is just really hard with really, really sick patients. But the truth is, is that a lot of this is algorithmic. And if you can keep these patients organized, there's very simple and thoughtful ways that we can address these issues. The other misconception that people have about nephrology is that it's nephrologists work really, really hard. You know, we're always involved with the sickest patients in the hospital. We come in early and sometimes we stay a little bit later. But in truth, you know, we're here for our patients and our hours aren't any longer than any other specialist. We don't get called in any more than any other specialist. We're not working any harder than any other specialist. We're all just taking care of our patients. Another misconception is that nephrology is poorly reimbursed. Nephrologists don't get paid that much. And that's just not true either. You know, nephrologists have dialysis. Dialysis is a moneymaker. The reimbursement for dialysis is generous, and we support ourselves very well in, in lifestyles and in nephrology. So there's a lot of misconceptions that push people away from nephrology that, that we try, 
we work really, really hard to, uh, to correct in the residency level. Once we get people into nephrology, people by and large know what they're getting into. People don't apply to nephrology without a good understanding of what it is. So when people are applying to nephrology, they, they know about acute kidney injury. They know about fluid, electrolyte, and acid-base disorders. They know about chronic kidney disease. And we don't find that people are coming in unprepared or uh, incapable or unable to, uh, to do the, that kind of work. What do you see is the, the future of nephrology training that uh, a resident or a medical student should be aware of? I do think nephrology training is changing. I think that the standard curriculum where fellows participate in the core nephrology aspects of CKD and, and dialysis and transplantation and critical care, and I think that that model is is evolving. I think that in the future, nephrologists are, are going to really try to explore the wealth of where our resources can be used. So I think that nephrology training in the future is likely to involve one year of core fundamental training in those topics that I just mentioned. But I think that there's going to be more and more of an opportunity for future nephrologists to sort of specialize in areas that they find particular interesting. Uh, for example, onco-nephrology addresses all of the forms of kidney disease that are associated with cancer care, either directly from the cancer or from the treatment of the cancer. I think that there's, we talked about interventional nephrology for people who like procedures. There are interventional suites where nephrologists can perform angioplasties and minor surgeries, vascular surgery or peritoneal catheter insertion surgeries in a outpatient surgical center. I think that transplantation has already been identified as a subspecialty where trainees can really focus on immunosuppression and the complications of, of immunosuppression in terms of both infections and cancers, as well as a rejection. So I see this sort of, this ballooning of areas where nephrologists can offer their services. Critical care is another one. You know, very few patients in the, in the intensive care units get through those, those days without either kidney injury or fluid and electrolyte disorders. And nephrologists are very commonly involved in the care of patients in the ICU. And that's a great way that we can contribute to patient's care. So um, I think that there's going to be even subs further subspecialization of the field of nephrology, which will enable trainees and future nephrologists to really explore whatever interest is, is at the heart of what they want to do. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you think a medical student or resident should know about nephrology, hopefully pique their interest a little bit more and, and get more people interested in nephrology? Yes, I, I most certainly think that everybody should find some way to immerse themselves for a short period of time in nephrology, whether it be on a consult rotation or an outpatient rotation in a dialysis unit or a transplant center. The field of nephrology is fascinating. It's intellectually stimulating in so many different ways. Every day is absolutely different. Every patient who walks in your door presents a new issue that, that needs to be addressed. Dialysis patients are all different. Transplant patients are all different. And it requires a lot of careful thought, a lot of commitment to these individuals, and it's so rewarding. I haven't been bored for a day in, as a, in, a, in my career as a nephrologist, and I don't see it ever happening. There's just so much going on and so many ways that I can apply myself that uh, it's really a lot of fun.
And I think you'll find nephrologists are generally very upbeat, very positive, very excited, enthusiastic individuals who love what they're doing and are happy to sort of share their their understanding of, of, of these disorders. You know, you'll always find a nephrologist sitting around ready to, you know, talk through an acid-base problem or talk through a hyponatremia problem. You know, we love talking about this stuff. It's, it's what we do. And, uh, and I think that belies the field of nephrology and, and, uh, and how it really engages us. So I hope that students and trainees uh, will find a way of finding a mentor, finding somebody within nephrology who can share this kind of excitement for them. And I think if that happens, we can turn a lot more people onto nephrology. All right, so there you have it. Again, Dr. Gilbert talking about what you as a medical student, what you as an internal medicine resident should be thinking about if you haven't thought about nephrology yet, or if you have thought about it, what you should be thinking about to potentially get into nephrology to maximize your chances of getting in, even though right this minute, it's not a competitive specialty to match into. But hopefully with this podcast, we increase those numbers of students and residents who are going to be interested in applying to and becoming nephrologists for the next generation of patients who are going to need you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I ask for one thing, that you share this episode, that you share this podcast. Share it on social media. Tag me. I'm at Medical School HQ on Instagram, on Twitter the same. Tag me on Facebook or tag the Medical School Headquarters on Facebook. Just let others know that this podcast is there to help them on their journey. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time when we talk to another amazing physician. (music) 